Our scripture text uh, this morning comes from the book of Philippians. I uh, chose this text in keeping with what we had talked about last week, and that being anger. And if you have not read and if you have not picked up a copy of uh, Table Talk dealing with anger, I would encourage you to do so. It is uh, uh, just interesting that uh, we tend not to take it too seriously at times, and yet God takes it very, very seriously. So if you would please uh, turn to the book of Philippians and the second chapter and stand for the reading of God's word this morning. Uh, we'll be back in uh, Titus and I probably will finish up the book the next time we, we go to it. hear the word of the Lord, Titus 2, starting in verse 1, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any anticipation, participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. That each of you look not only uh, for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross." The grass withers the flower phase, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. I go to prayer and pray for me as I preach this text this morning. Pray for yourselves as you sit under the proclamation of God's word. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we recognize that we are a tainted people. That uh, sin so easily entangles us. And we also recognize that we are in need of your grace. So we pray, Heavenly Father, that your word, which is light to our path, a lamp to our feet, that you would bless it to us this morning. So in spite of my own failings, O Lord, use me this day to preach your word and help the congregation to profit, Lord. We pray if any here outside of faith that you would grant Salvation to them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In James, as we saw last week, chapter 1, 19 and 21, he instructs the church to be aware of the seriousness of anger. Uh, Anger destroys families. Anger destroys churches. Anger destroys one's spiritual life. If you let it sit and it festers, it can have disastrous effects. So in the book of James, he tells us and he gives us kind of the three-step process of dealing with it. And we are uh, to be uh, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Well, this is a formula that James gives to us there. And uh, as we would seek to put this into practice, uh, it is something that we learn it is when the rubber hits the road. It's not always easy to do. Some people, again, by the way they're wired, uh, by the way sin has made them, they just flare. Whew. Scary thing to watch. Nostrils like a horse, you know, they're running, it flares up. 
and to become very irrational and unreasonable. Anger blinds us to what rational uh, was rational at that time in our lives. And James also taught us that uh, it's not God's purpose for us as his children. The anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. As a matter of fact, it blocks it and is contrary to the righteousness of God and how he would have us to live. Well, what is it in, in our lives that um, uh, would help foster uh, anger? Uh, if you put gasoline on a fire, you know what happens. It, uh, it's very uh, volatile and it, it uh, combusts and it makes a bigger fire. What is it in our lives that somehow and in some way uh, affects us and moves us to be more likely to get angry? Well, pride. Uh, pride in the life of an individual is something that is there that makes it more likely for us to get angry. And pride and self-centeredness are kind of woven in together. And it is that by nature we tend to be self-centered people. Again, going back to the illustration of a child, you have to teach a child to share. You don't have to teach a child to be selfish. It's kind of there. You have to teach a child to share. And most children, except for mine, most children uh, don't like to share. And so it's the parent's job to get in to see to it that that is being done by the children, that they are being instructed. And so they learn to share, which, again, contrary at times to uh, contrary to uh, what is within us naturally. Well, uh, for many people... uh, even people within the church, self-centeredness is something that they don't struggle with. It's become a pattern of their existence, a pattern of their being. And many people that are that have this characteristic might not even be aware of it. But uh, God's aware of it. And the Bible is aware of it. And God would have us to struggle uh, with that tendency for self-centeredness and that tendency for pride as well. And the very uh, poison of it is it destroys the unity of the church. Paul, in writing this letter to the Philippians, is concerned with the unity of the church of Jesus Christ. The problem comes up when somebody gets more concerned about their wants, their desires, than the good of the church, than the unity of the church of our blessed Savior, our great God and King. Well, that's what we deal with here, and that's what Paul deals with here in the text this morning. And I pray that as you sit and listen, that uh, you would examine your own hearts and lives and see where is it in your life that you have this tendency or you give yourself over to being self-centered and, of course, not being other people-centered that's the, uh, the results of it. We'll see this this morning as we go through these verses. Uh, that um, because unity between believers um, is something that Christ uh, would have us uh, to do and have us to be. Uh, because the unity of the church is something that is really reflected in the whole idea of the church belonging to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because unity of the church is the only way that the church will move forward, uh, 
being able to do what it should be doing, that is spreading the gospel, the kingdom of God spreading through a particular church, through the lives of individuals, uh, because that is absolutely essential that we have unity to be pleasing to God, to be pleasing to Christ, then we must strive for it. And one thing that we have to fight against is being and considering ourselves to be the center of all things. There's me, and then there's everybody else. Well, three things this this morning. A unity expressed through selflessness is a challenge in the life of the Christian. It is a rare thing. It is really, and sometimes, uh, hard to find in some churches. Uh, it is natural for us uh, to be self-centered. As natural as fins on a fish, as natural as feathers on a bird... It is natural by the way that we are born and by the way that we are uh, because of sin. Uh, I have an anthem that I wrote for the self-centered. It goes like this. I'm just too good to be true. Can't take my eyes off of me. I feel like heaven to touch. Oh, I love me so much. That's the hymn, the anthem of the self-centered one. And again, it works itself out at times, even uh, very seditiously, that we are not even aware of it being there. And nonetheless, uh, it is often there in our lives. We dig our heels in over something that should not be and simply is not that important. Me first. Me first always. Me first in everything. Me first in the church. Me first in the home. Me first now. And me first forever. Now, that is something that is contrary to what Paul would have uh, is t- instructing us uh, here, and also contrary to what the Bible has to say. And we have to consider this. The self-centered individual is one who has mindset that they are smarter than we are, that they have better understanding than we do, that their taste is better than ours in music and art and uh, foods even, uh, because... They have to have their way. And if somebody will admit, well, your way is good, too, uh, you know, you have a good ideas and things such as that, and they will listen. Uh, but the self-centered person, who Paul talks about here in this text, is not willing to give ear to other people's opinions. And so it is that the Christian must make effort to be selfless. It takes work. Notice here, do nothing from rivalry or conceit or selfish ambition. And we come to that in encouragement to that because of who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. If there is any encouragement in Christ. Uh, you understand what Paul's doing here? He's writing the church. This is not a letter to the world. This is a letter to a group of Christians. We are a group of Christians. And it could be that Paul wrote this yesterday and he wrote it to us. If there is any encouragement in Christ, there should be uh, any comfort from love. There should be participation in the Spirit. There must be any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind and the same love. Be united, in other words. And so he tells us here, nothing from selfish, selfish ambition. I talked to, uh, I'm not going to tell you who it was. Uh, a, a, a pastor one time, and he said, I want George Bush to come to my church. I said, why? 
He said, because the prestige that would be there if George Bush was attending my church. That's where he was coming from. And to me, that's contrary. I'm not saying anything about George Bush one or the other. That ain't the point, Woodrow. The point is that this is where his heart was. And is that not an expression of selfish ambition or conceit? It seems to me that it is. Because our goal, our job as pastors, is simply to preach the gospel. Whoever's here, uh, whether it's some poor fellow or some rich fellow, and they have just as much worth and dignity as any former president would have. What does James say? Uh, if someone comes into your congregation and they're, uh, they're wearing robes and they're nice ring and all that stuff, and you put them in a place of high honor, and the poor man comes in and you put him in the back, is that not showing distinction that is wicked and sinful? And so it is that we are to do all that we do without selfish ambition or conceit. And that our goal in ministry is to bring honor to the Lord Jesus Christ and for the benefit of his church. The problem is we don't do anything. There are extremes. Uh, one being that I do what I do in the church to bring glory to myself. I do what I do in the church so that people will notice me. I do what I do in the church so I'm going to have a hand in things that are made, the decisions that are made and so forth. Another extreme is this. I don't do anything. I don't care what happens to the church. I don't care which way it goes. I just don't care. I don't have any need to be involved in decisions. But that's still pride. And it shows a lack of love. For the church of Christ. So you got one who uh, shows himself shows himself in the life of the individual by wanting to be recognized. And that's contrary to what Jesus teaches in the book of Matthew where he says, you know, if, if you give your alms, don't announce it. If you're fasting, watch your face, keep it clean, let people know that you're fasting. Because he said you have your reward in full. If you do what you do for be, for, to be recognized by others, that's as far as it goes. And if you don't care, that's a problem as well. So we see the results of self-centeredness and pride in the life of an individual. It is detrimental to the church. So we have to do nothing, nothing, nothing out of selfish ambition, out of uh, being one to be put first, out of conceit. Well, it's really that we are to express unity through Humility. Do nothing out of being motivated by rivalry, nothing out of being motivated by selfish interest, our desire to be first to be recognized, but rather be characterized by humility, which is exactly what the Apostle Paul here says. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. That's not easy to do. I'm not saying we should never have opinions. I'm not saying we should not times when we should push for things that we think really should happen. But this has to be asked. Is this really something for the glory of Christ? Is this really something for the good of the church? Or is this just me wanting to have my way? Those kind of questions need to be asked. And that's what Paul is instructing these Philippians. It's interesting. Human nature doesn't change. The same issues in the first century church are issues the church has today. Same thing, because human nature simply does not change. And so we are called into humility. It is a good thing to be humble because God tells us in his word, I'm opposed to the proud, but I give grace to the humble. And it is only through humility at work 
that the work of the church is accomplished. Imagine having a, I don't know, a tug of war. That's what happens in a tug of war, right? Yeah, one group of people want to go this way, other group of people want to go that way, and whoever's the most powerful wins the game. And yet in the church, it's like we're up to a wagon. We're all supposed to be towing in the same direction. And our guide for that is Christ and his word. So we want to be working in such a way as to build up the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the way that we do that again is through humility. Now, humility, as Paul uses to hear, does not call us to ignore the gifts God has given to us. You have a gift God's given to you. I don't know what it is. We used to have a, uh, we, just, we attempted to start at something. That's when the COVID stuff came in and just messed things up. Be that as it may. Uh, a talent survey or a gift survey. And someone was in charge of that. And it, uh, I don't know what happened. But you have a gift that God has given to you. Some gifts are quite obvious. It's obvious who can teach and who can't teach. It's obvious who can disciple and who can't disciple others. It's not quite so obvious because it's usually done privately. But God has given you a gift, and you are not called to ignore that gift. That is not humility. Also, humility does not mean you have a poor self-image. As a matter of fact, people with poor self-images, I think I've said this in the past, it might be that they're thinking about themselves way too much. Humility is consistent with recognizing who you are in Christ, using your gifts for the good of the glory of Christ and the good of his people. And they do so with, with a great vigor and zeal. Martin Luther said this, My humility is not so foolish a kind as to make me desirous of denying the gift God has bestowed upon me. My gift is to be used for the good of others and the glory of his name. Humility does not beckon us to be blinded to our abilities or the responsibility to use them for the good of God's people. And uh, we also should not think that we are called here to fail to exceed, to be excellent. First Corinthians, the first question of the catechism, what is man's chief end? How many people know the answer to that? I knew y'all would. What is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To glorify God. That's the key word there. And uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, how many people know that? Yeah. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. So our chief end is to glorify God. And we do that by doing things with an eye to please him and to give great energy and zeal to it. To be the best that we possibly can be. If we are assigned to teach, we don't get up Sunday morning and start trying to figure out a lesson to teach. We've had all week to prepare it. I'm not saying anybody here does that. But if you give yourself to preparation and and praying and thinking about what it's saying to you, uh, it, it is a lot more helpful to the people who are sitting under the instruction that you are giving to them. So humility does not call on us to have a poor self-image, does not call on us to ignore the gifts God has given, nor does it call on us to not be excellent. We should be excellent in the things that we do, whatever it is that we are doing, and do so with a uh, 
uh, mindset to be glorifying to the God that we worship and serve. So it calls us then uh, to think about how actually we can do things to be involved in the well-being of others that are in need. Uh, Romans 12, 3, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That's an outworking of humility. Uh, to understand that our sinful actions uh, are offensive to a holy God. That helps us be humble before the Lord, certainly before one another. Uh, one, uh, let me read this quote to you. High regard for self is impossible for those who are not convinced of their sinful failings. You hear that? I'll read it again. High regard for self is impossible for those who are convinced of their sinful failings. Walk before me and be humble. We read in the scriptures. Another one. How can I be full of myself and think so well of myself at the expense of others when I sin so well? Humility is a mindset that must be practiced. And it helps us to remember this. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And i got to tell you, I need his grace every day. Bunches and bunches of God's grace every day. And we also recognize that whatever gift we have, according to what Paul writes in the letter to the Corinthians, is what God has given to us. So it should not in any way serve to be a source of arrogance or pride, uh, but rather uh, produce humility in us because God has given it to us. And uh, only the humble man will consider another more important than ourselves. So Paul says here, consider others as more important, not better. He doesn't say consider others as better than you, but rather consider them as more important than you are. That would go a long way to foster a great health in a church. If we did that. And so it is that we count them. We consider them. The same thing in James chapter 1 and verse 2. Uh, consider it all joy, my brothers, whenever you encounter various trials of one kind or another. It is, it is a mental evaluation or a mental work that we do. We consider it. We think about it. So we look at others and we consider them to be more important than we are. We look at them as being more important than we are. Uh, this is something that's pleasing to God. And this is something that's necessary if the church is going to be the kind of church that God would have us to be. And the last thing is that unity expressed actively means do an act of good for others that are around you. You may look out for your own interest. He says that here. Look out for your own interest. You need to take care of yourself. You need to take care of your family. You need to do this and do that. Look out for your own interest. But as you look out for your own interest, also consider the interest and needs of other people. You know, Philippians, uh, the letter to the Philippians is a positive letter. It's not like Corinthians. When Paul wrote the Corinthians, he had a list of things that were going on that were bad. I would remind you that... uh, and there was division among the people of God at Corinth. I am of Paul. I am of Cephas. I am of Jesus. I am of Paulus. And so you had these four groups of people that were identifying with individual personalities. And they were so committed to those personalities that it brought division among the people. I am of Paul. Well, I am of Jesus. And I am certainly being of Jesus much better than you. Well, I am of Peter. So there it was, the difficulty of, of the great challenge of trying to hold the church together. 
although it was uh, sitting on top of a powder keg by division of personalities. There also was the individual who was living a very, very moral relationship with his stepmother. Paul says this kind of thing is not done even among pagans. And yet it's going on in the church and you have done nothing to correct it. So there's all types of things. There, there's this order in worship, one thing after another, as you read the book of, to the Corinthians. Here is very positive. But every church has issues. Every church faces challenges. Because in this book also, Paul says, I want these two women who ministered beside me to agree together. I plead with them to agree together. In other words, whatever it is that's causing their division, whatever it is that's causing uh, their problems, to put it away. And we know this. It's not a problem of how they view the gospel. Because that is not negotiable. Our understanding of who Christ is in the gospel, that's not negotiable. We don't change on that. Because if you change that, then you cease to be a church. And you might as well not even meet together or just be a club or something along those lines if you uh, have uh, in any way uh, tainted uh, the gospel. So we look out for our own interests as well as the well-being of others. And the only way that we can do that is being characterized by humility. Humility is a good thing. It's a good thing. That's not my opinion. Well, it's my opinion, but it's based on Scripture. It's what God says in the in this in the word in His Word. I am opposed to the proud, but I give grace to the humble. Well, humility does not come magically. It doesn't just happen. It comes about by a formulation of thoughts that are informed by the Word of God. And again and again throughout Scripture, there is the call for God's people to practice and put on humility. Palmer Robertson, many of you know Dr. Robertson. If any of you watched the assembly uh, that met about three weeks ago, Dr. Robertson spoke from the floor of the assembly and gave what I think was a speech that turned the vote in a very positive way. We'll see what happens next year in Memphis. But... um, I admire him. When I was in seminary, he intimidated me. He probably intimidated most of the students that were there. And he always wanted to talk to me. I didn't like that. Would you please go away? Leave me alone. I was out in front of the library one day. He said, come with me and have some coffee. Oh, no. <laughs> He's a delightful man. He's a wonderful man. He's a very godly man. And uh, he had on his desk uh, a note that said this. I'm not much. I'm not much. Because a man as smart, intellectually gifted as Dr. Robertson is, and by the way, he's working on his final version of the Christ of the Covenants. I hope that he gets it finished before too long. Any man as gifted as Dr. Robertson is may have a tendency to lean toward pride, and yet he's not much. Why? Because he's a sinner and because the gifts he has were given to him by God. If you're very, very smart, whatever the field may happen to be, not so smart in another, it was God's good pleasure to give you a gift in one area and not in another. I'm not much. Well, you will never be a peacemaker in the church unless 
you put on humility. And if you read the Beatitudes, the first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, that's not saying in any way that blessed is the man who has a poor self-image. It's blessed the individual who understands before God he's a sinner. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who would know their need for God's grace to have their sins dealt with in their lives. Those who mourn over their sins because they shall be comforted. So that's the individual that is going to be helpful and useful in God's hands in the church. He's characterized by humility. You know, it, I think it, it, it just maybe it can't be helped when pastors get together. How's your church going? Right as rain. Ain't no church going right as rain. Some are healthier than others, that's for certain. But the question I think that we are to ask ourselves uh, is this. Are we being faithful to God? We want to see people, want to see the church grow. We want to see people convert. We want to see things like that happen. But are we being faithful to God? Are we preaching the word? Are we calling people to faith? Are we, by God's grace, honoring him in our lives day in and day out? That is essential, then, that we have. We put on humility before the Lord and before one another. You will never be one who will let others have their way if you're not characterized by humility. You will never be one who really mourns over his sins if you're not characterized by humility. You won't be one who is really useful in the hands of our God in the church until you practice and put on humility. The greatest challenge for us is to practice humility constantly. Constantly. Because the Bible doesn't say it's okay to be arrogant tomorrow. And prideful tomorrow, but not today. It's not what it says at all. It is constant. We are to be humble before the Lord and before one another. Consider others more important than yourselves. We read in the scriptures. So do you have a passion for the church to see it healthy and to be willing to do these things that Christ calls us to do through his servant, the Apostle Paul? If you don't, you have to question your spirituality. You have to question perhaps even your conversion. Because for the believer, it's Christ and his church first. Not what I want. What God wants and what God sees is good for his church. Whether I want it or not, it's what is the best thing for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the uh, position of the one who's truly characterized by humility. And I would always also say this, that um, pray for it. You know? You don't say, Lord, thank you that I'm so humble. No, you pray for it every day. Lord, help me to be humble before you and humble before others in the church. Because I'm not much. Apart from Christ, I have nothing. Let's pray.